Do you ever wonder where all your money went? Like every single time you look at your bank account? Honestly, it's probably all those subscriptions. I felt that way too, until I got Rocket Money. Rocket Money helped me see all the subscriptions I'm paying for, and it was eye-opening. Between streaming services, fitness apps, delivery services, it all adds up so quickly. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over 500 million in canceled subscriptions. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. That's rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. You can live out your MasterChef dreams when you find a professional on Angie to tackle your dream kitchen remodel. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside, repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. Ray directed his victims to obtain money for him by other means, by draining their parents' savings and worse, forced labor and prostitution. Ray is also accused of demanding taped confessions from his victims for supposed crimes they committed. Are you making this by your own free will? Yes. In this video uploaded in 2017, an apparently disoriented young woman says she tried to poison Ray, an unsubstantiated allegation. Did you in fact poison me? Yes, absolutely. The investigation into Ray was prompted by this New York Magazine article from April of last year. James Walsh co-wrote the piece. These students were just curious, open to the world, looking for somebody interesting to latch onto and who could share wisdom about the world. And Larry was that person. Now, Walsh also tells CBS News additional alleged victims have come forward since his article was published with accusations of their own that date back to the 1990s. Hello and welcome to Real Crime Profile. This is Jim Clemente, retired FBI profile, former New York City prosecutor and writer-producer of Criminal Minds. And with me today is... Laura Richards, criminal behavioural analyst, former New Scotland Yard, and also host of the podcast Crime Analyst. And I'm Lisa Zambetti. I'm a casting director for CBS's Criminal Minds, among other things. And we're jumping right back in to our coverage of this case of coercive control, mind control, all kinds of control by an offender named Lawrence Ray. And, you know, Jim and Laura, there are some critics out there saying, hey, why didn't anybody do anything? Why didn't these parents object? Why didn't they, anybody go to the police? Well, people they did go did. to the police. <laughs> they went to they went to the police. The parents did. The friends did. All these people did. And they kept being told that nothing could be done. And I want to ask you about that. But it wasn't until two journalists wrote a story for New York Magazine that kind of broke the case that even the victims themselves sort of realized, oh, my God, I was in a fucking cult. I mean, that is how entrenched they were. And of course, one of the survivors, Dan Levin, also wrote a book um, called The Sloan in Woods Nine that he published in 2021 while his classmates were still in the control of Lawrence Ray. Um, and so please, you know, check that out, too. But, Jim, why what does this all mean? Why couldn't the police do anything? Not true. Didn't do anything. Very true. The fact is that they got laughed out of the detective's office when they showed the police 
Claudia's, you know, poisoning video. And they just said, look, you know, she's an adult. And they didn't. This is sort of this is exactly what happened in the case of R. Kelly for many, many years. Parents and friends and even victims came forward and there was nothing that was done because it appeared on the outside that they were voluntarily engaging this behavior and they never bothered to look below the surface to see how this started. They didn't look at the entire course of events that ended there or that got them to there. Well, for me, this is where training is so important on coercive control. And if you give something a name, you give it a language, you change the law, then there's a very clear piece of legislation that it talks to and that professionals ask the right questions. That's the key. I always say, be curious, ask questions, trust your instinct. You know, they can't all be wrong of what's going on. And if you are trained on coercive control, and like I said, I've, I teach on masterclasses. I've got another masterclass on coercive control coming up on June the 6th, 7th. So if people want to attend, then do contact me. But we know, and we talk about it in class, 51% of victims don't realize they're being abused. So Lisa, to the point where they didn't realize what was happening to them, that's not unusual because the coercive control is so insidious and it's so entrapping. And oftentimes people think it's pseudo caring behavior. And that's what these young students all thought that he had their best interests at heart when he didn't. So I think it's so important that professionals are trained. And that's why I changed the law in England and Wales to make sure the non-physical stuff was just as important and, and identified as the physical behavior. And we asked the right questions about, well, is this in their best interest? Or is there a world of uncertainty and contradiction and fear and confusion that, that they're living in? And when you see that video of Claudia, I mean, if any professional watches that and doesn't think that there are questions to be asked, then I'm sorry, I can't help you because you shouldn't be in your professional role if you think that a young woman who's subjugated and is talking like she has somebody else in their ear and their head. And when you've got a man aggressively asking her questions and prompting her to say the most ludicrous things, which they were, let's face it. I mean, you've got all these other students at the college saying, well, she didn't poison me. She didn't try and poison me. So why is she talking about mercury poisoning? And just these outlandish things that were being said, going unchallenged. I mean, it really isn't good enough. You know, can't do anything or won't do anything. Or right. we must train people better to understand what coercive control looks like. And that's why in New York, we had the coercive control law on the law books and it got delayed and stalled and we're still struggling to get it through in New York and other states across the US. But this just further underlines why it's so important. And you're gonna really feel for their parents, you know, who do appear in this in the documentary and I've I've read interviews with, you know, they don't know they cannot understand what is going on. And the more that they try to get through to their kids, the more the kids retreat. And, you know, Dan has has said that, you know, it, it wouldn't have mattered what my parents said to me. I, I was not coming out. Um, but the fact that they kept the door open, that's all the parents could do. It's like, I'm here for you when you're ready. You know, we are here. You have not lost us. And Dan says, you know, finally, it, he really had to come to his own conclusion that Larry was a liar. And it took just something really simple and that Larry put together this website and it looked like total shit. I must might have been the Claudio website. And Dan's like, this is 
this is awful. This is not a professional looking website. And that little detail started him thinking, well, if if this is not true, then are these other things true? And he finally had the courage just to kind of walk out with the clothes on his back and just leave this apartment that he'd been living in and try to get away and get back to campus, which must have taken so much courage when you when you Absolutely. see his state of mind, getting up on the roof, ready to throw himself off the roof because he's so messed up. But there was a beating before that. There was a very disturbing video uh, clip, wasn't yeah. there? And with the hammer and and, exactly. and grabbing his tongue with a pair of heavy pliers and pulling yeah. on it and then wrapping aluminum foil and plastic into a rope and genitals. then wrapping it around his genitals and and twisting it, you know, to torture him. And that again, that showed you. Larry knew. I mean, he's making, he's documenting this to control them, but he knew, well, at that point, I need to turn the camera off and keep doing it, but turn the camera off. So he's clearly aware. He had physically abused Dan, and that I think the tipping point came. You know, all these things come together, and it's multiple things where someone thinks, hang on this isn't right. And he broke and he went and sat on the roof and he did have a suicidal thought about he could end it all, but he chose not to. And that takes real mental fortitude. Mm -hmm. He talked and walked himself back. But I think the point of how do you help people and some of them saying, well, they wouldn't have listened to their parents. It's the non-judgmental approach that's really important. And oftentimes, and I do wonder with the professionals who were told about it, they came in with judgment. And when you come in with judgment, you're not asking the right questions. And at times you do just have to be non-judgmental and just listen and listen to what's being said and just try and gently guide in the right direction without feeling like you're creating uh, an ultimatum where they have to choose one or the other. Because unfortunately, with a good coercive controller who's very manipulative, they won't be able to choose the parent. They will choose the person who's manipulating them like... Larry. And of course, you've got the parents who originally thought he was a good person. You've got Santos's mum and dad, right? Thinking he's an intellectual, he's a good guy, but far from it. So I think there's lots of things we have to think about when somebody is being coercively controlled and the judgment is the biggest problem, you know, and not being able to just listen without making a judgment about what's mm. going on or why can't you just walk out, just walk out the door. Mm. Well, that tells you they don't understand the entrapment and the dependency and Santos's psychology of talking about, I knew I needed to get out. I just couldn't get out the door. I just couldn't, I didn't know what the punishment would be if I did leave and just not knowing which way is up. They don't trust their own instincts anymore mm -hmm. and they genuinely don't know what to do. So you have to keep that contact open, keep talking to them so that they're not isolated and being pulled further down the hole so that when that moment comes, Lisa and Jim, where Dan reaches, I had aluminium and a rope put around my genitals and I had pliers in my mouth. He was going to pull my tongue out. That moment of absolute abject fear, which I felt it watching that happening. And Ugh. God knows what happened when the camera was turned off. But I would imagine that was probably the tipping point for when he thought about going onto the roof and maybe jumping off or actually he's going to save himself. And that tells you there's mental fortitude with each of these young people. They had the mental fortitude. One by one, they make their own decisions, although not all of them, not all of them get right. out initially. No, and but 
even as they get out, Larry turns everyone against those people and then creates this next level of narrative that they were also involved in poisoning and they were also hurting you and they also were working with Bernie Carrick and you know, all this bullshit, he would he would make sure that there was no connection between those that stayed and those that left. And so this was it was it was just an ongoing and and almost at some point like a desperate attempt on Larry's part to maintain complete control over these people. So we should explain that this is going on for years. And finally, graduation does come for Isabella and for um, Claudia and for all the other former roommates who who had been, um, you know, witness to all of this. Santos doesn't graduate because he takes a medical leave. But after graduation, Larry does something to further isolate the, the students who are remaining with him. And he takes them down to this North Carolina property. So across state lines, out in the middle of bumfuck nowhere to work on this property where they're like digging ditches and, and using backhoes and doing hard labor on this property um, that he's trying to get into shape. And so Felicia is there. Um, Yalitza, her sister is there. Santos is there. Isabella is there. I'm not sure if Claudia is there. Or she's still in the city working as an escort. But isn't this part of, uh, you know, deepening their isolation? Now they are really away from everything they know. Can we can we just call it what it is? He's got her working as a sex worker and, you know, and he's making literally at at least a, over a million dollars in one year in 2018. And then I think at least somebody said it was like 800,000 the year before. But this is these are huge amounts of money. Maybe he bought these properties with that money. I don't know. But he's certainly living and buying drugs and and manipulating these people for over the course of of almost 10 years. 10 years. He stole from their lives. Yes, and I think once they go to the other house, then they are involved in what's very clearly manual labor as well, that he has got them digging and digging up the soil three times and working through the night. And what's also clear in some of those scenes is that Larry is doing a lot of drugs. He's doing a lot of Adderall. And that, of course, is creating more problems but the fact that the sleep deprivation, I think oftentimes people don't think about sleep deprivation as being a key tactic. Well, you know, the last month I haven't slept through the night and particularly the last two nights I've had about an hour's sleep. And those people who can't sleep or when you've got a baby or something, you've got a teething baby or you're not being allowed to sleep, it has a serious impact on your cognitive um, functioning. On your and how you feel about the world, yourself. And I, that was one of his key tactics. He told them when to eat, when to sleep. He made them sleep outside and this manual labor of the physicality as well. And let's not forget there was a lock on the fridge and the freezer so that he's controlling what they eat. He's literally controlling every aspect of their life and restricting movement. And that should not be underestimated. And the fact that he's doing drugs and he's not sleeping will also have an impact on him. But the the torture, and I'm going to use that word because I do think that this is torture, and that's why it should be seen as incredibly serious. This isn't just a few wayward students who made some bad decisions. This 
guy inserted himself in their lives. He undid them and he tortured them. And then they tortured each other. Mm -hmm. And I think some of the disturbing scenes, I mentioned Dan, but also was Santos and Felicia, where you can see that Felicia has clearly had a mental breakdown Mm -hmm. and the way she's twitching and convulsing and she's not allowed to make noise. And it's Santos's job to make sure she doesn't make noise. And how he does that is he says, I'm going to hit myself every time you make a noise. So now you've got him hitting himself and her making noise and twitching and making all sorts of odd bodily movements. And Larry is the one that Santos is saying, I'm, I'm doing my best. I'm trying to control her. And then they get her on the ground. Oh, it's, yeah, it's, that was one of the hardest scenes for me, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. He's clearly emulating Larry. He's that I was just going to say that exact section, Laura. It's so funny. You just read my mind. And that, that was so heartbreaking to see Santos, who is this sweet guy, this sweet kid, sensitive kid, all of a sudden assuming this tormentor role that he has clearly learned from this piece of shit who has been controlling all of them. It's just, it's just heartbreaking. Right. And at the same time, he's hurting himself. And, and that is, you know, it just shows you the level of control that Larry had over him, that he would, he would choose that way to try to help control his sister. It was just, it was, it was horrible. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com podcast and use code WONDERY to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. And then we hear Yelitsa confessing to poisoning Felicia, her sister, and her saying, this isn't me. So there's a part of them deep down inside that they know that it's not them. And that's the part you have to try and work with someone to get back to. Yelitsa ran away and she went across the highway. She wanted to make sure that no one would find her. And I have to say, I wasn't sure where it was going. I thought we were going to hear about numerous suicides, actually, Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. people just feeling 
that they couldn't take anymore because of this guy. And that's called a forced suicide if it happens, where someone makes your world so miserable that living it is just unbearable. And we've seen that in coercive control cases. I'm thinking about Justine Reese, who whose life was made so unbearable and she had reported 14 times to police in the UK and the police did nothing. And oh. she went to a refuge and the way that he, a serial perpetrator, got her out the refuge was he desecrated her mother's grave and then he threatened to kill her children. So she came out of the shelter and she took her own life and she wrote a note saying, the war of attrition is just too, too much. I can't bear to live anymore. And the judge actually so said wrong. he made her life so unbearable, which he did. And then he was arrested, Jim and Lisa, after Justine took her own life for, I think it was six counts of coercive control, four of stalking, and for manslaughter. That was our first case where it was a manslaughter case that he had made her take her own life. But the fact for me was that it was a failure because we should have been intervening every time she was reporting mm. So that's why it is important that we have a coercive control law to get into early intervention and prevention so that these cases don't escalate and people take their own lives. But Yulitsa managed to run away. She went to New York. She started living her life, picking up the fragments of her life without her brother and sister. And then we hear that Dan ran away and we hear that Santos, you know, and this is slowly across the documentary. So gradually, one by one, they managed to get out but they are a shadow of their former selves. And I think that's important to say when people say, oh, they left and they were safe. No, they weren't, because actually what's in their head is what makes them unsafe. Who is this guy? Who yeah. is this guy just causing so much harm and destruction? And that's who law enforcement and everyone should be looking at, right? Of I still have questions about him. I want to know everything about him, of how and why? And when did this behavior start? And what did the people who knew him the best say about him, of how he could destroy so many lives of these young, bright students who had everything going for them? And even now they're having to police themselves because of Larry's voice as the dominant one in their heads and not their own. And that's the legacy right. of this type of abuser and abuse. Yeah, I thought that was really well documented. How even in even when they have separated even when the realities have come back in they still question what is in their brains they don't know what's real and what isn't and to have that as a lingering damage that this guy has caused over these years is just a horrible horrible thing one thing that Laura mentioned uh, when you mentioned the, the suicides, apparently, according to the New York Times, Yelitsa and others, they did attempt suicide. And guess what happened? When they were rushed to the hospital in the emergency room, he comment commandeered them. And so the parents couldn't even go and see their own children, right? And and they wouldn't, the 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 Yelitsa didn't want to see her own family. Um he was so mm. in control of, of their lives. I literally can't bear hearing it. You know, I find it so difficult because I didn't know that, Lisa, but that's what I would expect, that right. there were no doubt multiple suicide attempts when you feel you have no choice, no agency, you're so hopeless and helpless that that may well happen. But there's only one person responsible and there's an opportunity at the hospital to ask questions of and to who intervene. this old white man is who's controlling 
you know, a, a young person who's not related to them, who, and the young person's turning their family away. And that's what he did so well. Even at the end, Isabella turning her mother away and her aunt, the people who have her best interests at heart, and they think that they're against them rather than for them. And that's the saddest part, the, the memory distortion of trying to get back to self of what's what's truth and what's reality and what's the made up bullshit that they've been told over and over and over again. And maybe this is why I bump so much on calling it a cult because Hollywood has has glamorized cult leaders. I mean, you have Taylor Kitsch playing David Koresh and you have, you know, really attractive and, and enigmatic actors playing these cult leaders. He, there's nothing about this guy when I look at him that I'm like, oh yeah, he's going to control all of these vibrant brilliant kids. I mean, there's nothing, you don't look at him and go, oh yeah, that's a guy who's going to, you know, be a mover and shaker and getting into rooms with politicians and, and the FBI and he fooled the FBI. I mean, he's, as Jim always says, when you call somebody a predator, you have this idea of what a monster looks like and he doesn't look like Larry Ray. No. Well, actually Larry Greco, by the way, yes. he, 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 he changed his name. I don't know if he ch legally changed it, but his actual name is Larry Greco and he wasn't a Marine. And, you know, so 99% of the stories that he told were probably false, but he clearly exhibited some very, very strong characteristics of psychopathy. And one of them is charisma and the ability to lie just you know, without any consequences and manipulate people, all of those are very much traits of psychopathy. He he absolutely exhibited at that. And therefore, he had no he has no empathy for human beings. He just uses them as his playthings. Yes, I counted numerous psychopathic traits. I mean, he was detailed and he was organized and there you could see the level of calculation and manipulation, but the grandiose delusions of self-worth, Jim and Lisa, you know, he's a Marine, but he's meeting with Gorbachev and all these very important people, the charm that we've already talked about, the fact he's a pathological liar. You know, he rocked up at their campus saying that he'd come out of prison the question should have been asked there and then, right? But the fact was he'd been in prison for abducting and kidnapping Talia. And no doubt he's been in prison for other things as well, I would imagine, just given his history. But the fact that he had kidnapped his daughter, I'm going to come back to that. The charm, the pathological liar, no responsibility taking, no empathy, no remorse, and no insight into his own behavior, all points to him being a psychopath. And that's why I'm glad that Zach did not platform him, you know, that we didn't hear his account, which would just show all of those things of right. which we know, you know, really we takes us nowhere. A, we heard right? enough of his bullshit. Exactly. It takes us nowhere. But I think where we could get some real insight is from his ex-wife, Teresa. There were, there were two daughters, Ava and Talia, and the two daughters haven't spoken for many years and I believe it all comes down to what went on in the family and that they are victims too. But I do believe he most likely abused Teresa. It would be very weird and bizarre, and it would be a, an, an anomaly for me if there was no abuse in that relationship. And when doing some of the research, finding out that there was a child custody battle, and that's when he was assessed by a psychiatrist who said some very alarming things about him, which rarely happens actually, 
through the family court, but said that he was manipulative, dangerous, a very difficult person to assess. Well, that's probably because of his psychopathy, right, Jim? Yeah. But the two kids were separated, Talia and Ava, in, uh, when the divorce happened in 2004. And Talia accused her mother, Teresa, of abuse. But those allegations were discredited by New Jersey's Child Welfare Department. And that was also due to the fact that Ava never corroborated the story. But yeah, and Larry know, probably planted it. He planted that story, yes, because Ava, who was four at the time, was asked by an official if her mother ever hit her. And she said, that's what daddy tells me to say. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> that's why Teresa was awarded custody of her children. And Ava stayed with her mother, but Talia, in inverted commas, chose to go into a youth shelter. And I believe he abducted her. That was the three-year sentence he was in prison for. But yes, he was doing it on his own children. So one of the questions I had in the docu was, where was Talia in all of this? Mm -hmm. You know, we didn't really hear her voice, did we? Yeah. But I can't even imagine what she's going through, given that I believe that she was a victim as well as a child and her sister too. And she has to live with all of this and try and make sense of it in, in her own mind of what happened. She was absent. And I can only imagine it's because she doesn't want to be a part of it. You know, she doesn't, she probably still believes her father that that's what I would assume. At first we thought Isabella was the first victim, but it's very clear that Talia was probably the first and longest victim of Larry. Yeah, so and I, I do believe that, and Ava too. So we mustn't forget the children, because it's very easy for people to think, well, where's Talia? She's the reason why he was at that dorm, right? She brought him in. She said that he was her hero. But these are all the things that he's been telling her to say. And when you're young and you're dependent on your parents, and this guy, well, I do believe, you know, the indirect assessment shows that he scores highly on the psychopathy checklist. So, and Isabella was the first victim in the house. Mm. And so it's very easy to cast dispersions on her too and her decisions, particularly when she's so resolute at the end, isn't she, of the documentary that we start to see some questions going on, but she seems very cold and clinical. Whereas Santos and all the others, we, we get a sense of fragility, right, in all of them. But with Isabella, we don't. But I think that that's a very strong exterior that she's put up there as part of her self-preservation. And we know now she has taken, she's got a different level of understanding. Now she's been working with a therapist and a, a, a different lawyer. And it sounds like she is starting to realize that it wasn't a healthy relationship that she had with Larry, that he abused her and that she was a victim too. But that realization for all of them has come at a different time. And that is exactly what happens. It's like a, a fog lifting slowly. And Felicia did a lot of the work herself. And I do just want to pay tribute to each of them, but particularly Felicia for all the uh, research that she did and the brave, it takes real courage to confront the decisions and what part you've played in all of this and the shame. I think from each of them, you can see there's real shame, bar Isabella. And that's again, why she looks and feels slightly different, but the shame that they felt of how they allowed themselves to get into that state, but the courage of trying to look it right in the eye and really understand what's gone on. And it broke my heart with Felicia sat outside seeing her parents and not being able to to reach out to them because of him. 
Right. So this is the this is the extraordinary part of this documentary that I find completely stunning just from a filmmaking point of view, because we, we're we not in the past anymore. Now we're in the present where this filmmaker is in touch with Felicia and Isabella. And Larry has been arrested, right? Because all of this has come out and the media has come out and they are still defending him. And this filmmaker is filming them, direct address, talking to them and just giving them space to talk. I, I, the, the, the amount of restraint that this filmmaker exhibited was incredible, where um, Felicia is still defending Larry and they're in this shithole Staten Island house. And she's like, these are all my medical files and he's my honey bunny and all of this stuff. And then slowly, and I always ask filmmakers, how do you know when things are done? Like, how you know, he just keeps the camera rolling as the weeks go by, as the months go by, and she finally starts to come out of it. And she finally leaves um, Isabella and is living on her own and is trying to, he's with her. This filmmaker is with her when she's watching her parents from afar, watching them going into their apartment and wanting to talk to them, but afraid to talk to them because she's still believing the Larry in her head, right? She's still believing all of the things that he poisoned her mind about. I thought it was just incredible. And that when she calls her mother for the first time and the filmmaker is there, I mean, this is just really uh, impressive, you know? It's incredible documenting, actually. Mm -hmm. And let's not forget the Zach, the documentarian was speaking to experts, cult experts, not coercive control experts, but cult experts. And therefore the non-judgmental and just being able to listen and give space was obviously a very clear strategy. But I think that scene, Lisa, as you describe, talking to Felicia and Isabella are in, are in the house and Larry's not there. And yet you still see them policing themselves. You see them living in a total shithole mm-hmm. and them thinking that this, this is okay. The floor has come up they they take you outside and you see that everything is just earth and diggers and they say that they've redug it three times through the night because Larry wanted yeah. wanted them to do that and then you see the conditions with the lock on the fridge and the freezer and there's just shit everywhere it's a shithole that these two young women are living in and they're still saying but we love Larry and we want the truth to come out and he hasn't done anything wrong and they're defending him and then the disturbing scene where Felicia is saying, as you said, here's my honey bunny and my medical stuff. And this is all my medical things here. This is how I stretch my hand out when I get these cramps from the poisoning. And then she's laughing sort of very unnervingly, yeah, actually, right. wasn't it? I very felt weird. really worried about her mental health when she's laughing in this hysterical, very uncomfortable, uncontrollable way. But she believes that they are husband and wife. And that's what she's communicating right, and the two of them reinforcing each other. But there's something really disturbing that underlies the way that she describes it and characterizes it. And and then it's sometime later that I think it's the lawyers that tell them to separate, isn't it? So someone had the foresight to get them apart from each other because they're just feeding each other all this Larry bullshit. And then Felicia is saying in her own apartment, I can just eat my own food out of the fridge and I can just decide when I'm going to get up and go to sleep. And for her, this is like an epiphany, a revelation that the rest of us just take for granted. That tells you how deep she was in it. And slowly, very slowly, things start to to change. But if you try and force it, you can push that person back 
to the abuser and it has to be on their own terms with their own autonomy in their own way, reclaiming their own sense of self and trying to figure out who the hell they are, which is what we see on camera, which is why it's an extraordinary documentary. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. You hear that? Your dog knows. Spring is coming sooner than you think. But the warmer weather also means that fleas and ticks are coming back. Fleas are an itchy nuisance and can easily get into your home, furniture, and beds, which can be terrible. Ticks are even worse. They're hard to spot but can carry disease and get your dog really sick. PetMed's pharmacists connect directly with your vet to save you time and deliver the best flea and tick products for your pet. PetMed's offers low prices on all flea and tick meds, including Nexgard, Simperica, and more. Visit PetMeds.com and use promo code PODCAST to save 40% on your first auto ship order. That's PetMeds.com promo code PODCAST for 40% off your first auto ship order. During that time, when Larry's been arrested, he's in custody and Isabella and Felicia have been living together. The documentarian, though, takes us back and juxtaposes what they're saying against the videos that Larry made when he is torturing them and slamming them on the floor and sleep depriving them. And and so you see the reality versus what they their reality has become. And that is just the most poignant example of how controlled they are. And it's Eventually, when you start to see Felicia come out of it and she says, you know, what he did like right away was tear up my medical license and throw it out the window. And that's what I need to get back to the medical doctor that I was. And she doesn't have it anymore. It's just so sad. And and then, you know, and, and this is sort of her like, wow, this guy really did this to me. He really did this on purpose. And Man, when, you know, I know that people who are, you know, doctors who are very high achievers, they, they, they work themselves to the bone They're They're, you know, especially when she, she came from such humble beginnings and she did this herself, she must've been under so much pressure. And then he used that and just broke her brain. I mean, broke her soul. It's just so sad, but fortunately towards the end you start to see her come back and her personality and and that 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 sort of hideous laughter going away and her being more grounded and and more herself and the physical transformation boy going from being emaciated 
and, and just looking so unhealthy. And now you see them looking more nourished and her face gets fuller and healthier. Um, uh, that was, that was really incredible. Uh, one thing that Dan Levin did say after his exit from Larry's clutches is that he tried to talk to a psychologist afterwards, but Larry's behavior so closely mimicked therapy that he he was completely triggered by that experience. And I know Santos also got into Bellevue, which for those of you who don't know, it is a, is a hospital in New York that is very well known for its mental health care. And he was there for a really long time before he could even come to grips with, with what had happened to him. Wow. I could see his fragility. I mean, absolutely. But I think to that point, Lisa, that's exactly why all professionals must be trained to understand coercive control. Otherwise, it, your behavior can look very similar and be very triggering if you don't ask the right questions. And I think that's why it's an extraordinary uh, documentation of, of what's gone on. And we see the transformation in front of our own eyes and can make our own decisions about what's happened. But I think going back just one step to Felicia and her medical documents being torn up, that's what a coercive controller does. They go to the heart of the things that you care about and matter the most, and they destroy them. And that's part of the undoing. It, it signals what's happening. It's a metaphor, but it signals what's happening to the person. But isn't it ironic that Felicia says at the house, when she's talking about the mold and uh, the fact they've taken the floor up so many times, she says, Larry is my support system. People keep saying, I'm not a doctor anymore due to Larry, but that's not true. He's my support system. When he was absolutely the person who undid yeah. it all and took yep. that away from her, took, she got dismissed. She lost her apartment. She lost everything. And it all comes down to, to one person. Right. And so yes, Jim, I think that was a very clever piece of showing us what her reality was at that time of the way she's talking to us, but also what the evidence truly was of what had taken place and what Larry had done to her. So we're left in no doubt right. that he did that to her. The most heart-wrenching scene for me was when Felicia went with her mother to visit Yelisa. Is it Yelisa? Yelisa. Yelisa. Mm -hmm. And Yelisa answered so meekly through the door and she just couldn't bring herself to open the door and I'm sure that she was so torn and so fearful, but then later they were all able to get together and just the joy and the, you know, when Felicia actually called her mother and then, and you could hear the joy and the tears and then, and the thankfulness. And then the mother came the next day and they were just hugging each other and crying. And then they went out and, and eventually tried to talk to Yelitsa and, and it, it was so difficult, but they eventually all got together. And to me, that was the best possible ending to see this reunion. I'm like, yay, that fucking scumbag didn't win. You know, that guy is in jail for the rest of his life, as he should be. And they got their family back, which I thought was really great. Yeah. And I think, you know, that the reunion was very important for us to see and to understand that it happened and Yelitsa not being able to open the door because she was triggered. Remember the last scene was of Felicia completely undone and crying mm -hmm. and crying like a child. And it mirrored that scene. So I could understand what she was saying. It was her own fear and triggering. But yet when Santos appeared, 
you know, a few weeks later and the two of them were there and she saw both their faces, she realized that she could do it. But let's not be under any illusion that this is healing and that this is, they're in a good place. No, it's not a happy because, ending. No, it's not a happy yeah, ending. Yeah, this is not a happy ending at all. This is going to take extensive work yeah, not across yet, the but rest of their life course. And, you know, the the survivors can never completely get back to who they were. And that's why what he did is so devious and so wicked and so manipulative. And yes, he deserves to spend all his life, the rest of his natural life behind bars. He's the one person that was responsible for it. But there's a lot of psychology and counseling and therapy, hopefully with those trained in coercive control ahead of them. So, you know, yes, they're in a place of safety, but emotionally and psychologically, they're still not safe. And that's going to take an awful lot of work. So I'm just being yeah. very realistic about what this individual did. A decade of of undoing takes a lifetime's work of being able to exist and live and feel emotionally and psychologically and spiritually safe and secure in yourself and trust your own decisions and yourself again. Just want to say that, you know, obviously we recommend watching this Hulu documentary, but it is big, big trigger warning. I also recommend if you can watch uh, anything that Stephen Hassan has done, his TEDx talk about how can I know if I'm in a cult, the eight criteria that how you can know if you're in the, if your environment is brainwashing you. There is also his podcast called The Influence Continuum, and there is an organization called igotout.org. If you think that you or a loved one might be under the influence of somebody exerting mind control, please, please, please reach out for help. There are people who want to help you. And also please read up on coercive control. Like I said, I'm still not convinced this is cult mm -hmm. uh, related. I think that it's been given that label because it's very hard to understand exactly what it is, but it's very different um, in my opinion. So listen to our conversations with Jess Hill on Real Crime Profile and also my conversation with Jess on Crime Analyst. And I've recently um, just done a new interview with Dr. Emma Katz about children growing up with a coercive controller. And you can watch that on YouTube or on the podcast. And there's lots of great books that are out on coercive control. So please do educate yourself. And if you want to come on any of my masterclasses, I've got Dash masterclasses coming up in May and June on the domestic abuse, stalking and harassment and on a base violence risk model, where we talk about coercive control and coercive controllers. A stalking masterclass in May, May 9th, 10th, and in June uh, 6th and 7th, I've got a coercive control masterclass. So all professionals should be trained. We've heard, we talked about psychologists, we've talked about therapists, FBI agents, law enforcement, prosecutors, medical professionals, social workers, everybody who comes into contact with people, because you will hear key words being used and certain things where we should be asking further questions of what's going on. So please take good care of yourselves. This conversation is, has been a deep one. And like I said, I found it deeply disturbing watching the three parts. And this is the work that I do day in, day out. But it really does give a much better understanding of how it happens over a period of time. And I will say the documentary took three years to, to put together. So it's clearly been a process as well of understanding what went on and in fact, Lawrence Ray has only just been sentenced to 60 years in prison. So you can see how long it's taken 
from what he did to now him receiving a very serious punishment and penalty for it. Laura, one of the things, you know, as I consider whether or not it was a cult, there are certain, I think, parallels in that generally, if I'm not mistaken, coercive control doesn't necessarily typically involve a group of unrelated people. It's typically like within the family or within this, um, you know, sort of family unit. And and this guy expanded it uh, to a group of people. And I think that's why it it's sort of a hybrid between, you know, a, a standard situation of coercive control and something that that more mirrors a cult in the fact that he's got this group of people that he is controlling as opposed to, you know, a targeted, uh, you know, family unit. Yeah, but I still don't agree that it's a cult. Think about R. Kelly and the way that he targeted young women and girls and put them in a house. Mm -hmm. You know, I wouldn't say that that was a cult either. It was that they believed in him and they wanted Mm -hmm. a relationship with him. Right. And there's no ideology, really. So Yeah, there's no ideology other than it just centers around the one person and wanting to be with them and thinking that they are enhancing your life and it works on that trust basis. But you're not really getting anything else out of it. It's not like Keith Rainier and Nexium. Um, And I think about Epstein, you know, because as we talk, I always think, you know, what does it look like in this situation or with this perpetrator Epstein with the victims of having them all you know, in one place and them having to remember the the, the 58 page house book that Ghislaine Maxwell had put together of how they should, how all the girls should conduct themselves and what they should wear and that they see nothing, hear nothing, see nothing, but they must always, always smile. They must heat Epstein's coffee to a certain temperature. You know, it, it's very similar in this regard. So, that's why I think there's we still have a lot of work a lot of work to do when thinking about cases and what it is. But what we do see, and I, I wonder whether you agree with me, Jim, is that there's a psychopath at the center of it. Yeah, there's no question about that. And the damage, the 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 just ripple effect of of damage that he caused in in these young people and now older people and their families, their parents and their friends from school. I mean it's just, it's horrible. And I'm glad that he's locked up for the rest of his life. Me too. And and let's not forget with coercive controllers, they do um, co-opt other people in. They're very adept at being able to get everybody to look at the victim and to get other people almost to collude. And that's really what Lawrence did and mm. Robert Kelly and others and Epstein, you know, they're very good at doing that. And I just think with the word cult, it becomes a thing and not an actor. And Mm. this is like the spider web, isn't it? Which I always talk about with coercive control. There's one spider at the center of it all. And Mm. that spider is manipulating everybody and the others are not getting anything out of it, really. There's no organization or structures or processes it it really is just exploitation to ensure that one person is dominant and the authority and that their needs are being met by all these other people that they have manipulated and controlled. Yeah. I guess he was cultish in his behavior, but it you're right. It doesn't, it's not like there's a name for it or an organization. It was literally just this group of people that he got access to that he can coercively controlled. 
Yes. So there's so much more that we could talk about. And I'm sure we're going to be talking about this in other cases as we move forward. But it's always good to have these conversations and to be professionally curious and have an open mind and discuss as we understand coercive control and coercive control is more, how you can identify it if you've got someone in your midst behaving like that, how you can help other people if you see other people being coercively controlled. So there's still a lot more for us to learn. But one thing that I do take away is that there's normally a psychopath at the center of it. And that psychopath is normally not understood to be a psychopath. And I think we've also got to do a lot more work in understanding these dangerous and manipulative individuals and making sure that they are fully accountable far earlier on for their behavior. And we mustn't be thrown off track of calling it a certain name that deflects from this one person's choices and the accountability that goes with that and the responsibility taking. I think it's been very interesting to have these conversations with both you and uh, with Jim and Lisa And I hope that our listeners, you take good care of yourselves. So for now, this is Real Crime Profile signing out. If you like listening to our show and appreciate the work that Jim and Laura do and their expertise, you can do us a big favor. Please head over to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to our pod and leave us a five-star rating and write your thoughts about why you enjoy our show. It really, really is important and helps other people find us. Also, did you know that you can share our episode? It is so easy. On the Apple Podcast app, click the three dots, drop down menu and you'll see an option to share to your socials or to a particular person and then they can hear for themselves why you love listening to Real Crime Profile. Thank you so much for your support. Hey Prime members, you can listen to Real Crime Profile ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. Before you go, tell us about yourself by completing a short survey at wondery.com survey. Alex Ryder is back. Hello, Alex. You have a lot of work to do. To face his greatest challenge yet. We have an active threat. They can wipe out an entire city. People are going to die. Now he's running out of time. We have three days to find and destroy. He doesn't know who he can trust. We're not your enemies. We never have been. Everything I've been told has been lies. And our future is in his hands. The truth can be complicated. On April 5th. This weapon is capable of inflicting 100,000 deaths in a heartbeat. The danger is everywhere. Scorpio are no longer hiding in the shadows. The battle threatens everyone. It's personal. It's revenge. It's kill or be killed. That's when you find out what you're really capable of. And his choice could change everything. I'm sick of being manipulated to do what everyone else wants. Tell him the truth, all of it. The world isn't black and white. All we really have are the people we trust. Alex Ryder, season three, streaming free April 5th. Stream seasons one and two free now. The wait is over. So far, you're not losing. The only thing you're losing is my patience. Quickly, I see that. Bing! The queen of the courtroom is back. I didn't do anything. You wouldn't know the truth if it came up and slapped you in the face. I see he's not intimidated by anything. I can fix that. New cases. She wanted to fight me. Leave her alone. Okay, so, um... Not, this is not a so. This is a period. Classic Judy. Did you sleep with her? Yes, Your Honor. You married his cousin. His brother. That's not him. Yes, ma'am. I would 
make a beeline for the door. The Emmy Award-winning series returns. How did I know that? I have a crystal ball in my head. It's an all-new season. It's streaming. You can say anything. <laughs> Judy Justice, only on Freebie. Real Crime Profile was created by Jim Clementi, Laura Richards, and Lisa Zambetti. Produced by Laura Richards, Lisa Zambetti, Jim Clementi, and XG Productions, and distributed by Wondery. Editing by Nick Jaworski at Podcast Monster. Logo art by Jim Clementi. Music composed and performed by Simba Tsumba. <laughs> <laughs>